What's up, everybody? Thanks for coming back and joining us for another episode of All Things Reconsidered. Once again, I'm Joey, and that's Brandon, and we are here to have a great conversation about Brandon's personal story of his growth in into charismatic evangelical church, and then eventual deconstruction and rebuilding into what he is now. And uh, I'm really excited to get into it. Get ready to take a nap, everybody, because I'm <laughs> boring. I bet it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we're, you know, we have this um, new setup here, as you can tell, and um, it just feels personal. It yeah. feels more relatable. Without having a table between us, Right. it just feels more conversational. Like I could like, reach out and touch you. Yeah, you could. You totally could. And I would encourage that, to be completely honest with you. <laughs> but now that we have this new setup, it just kind of felt right. Like We need to just tell people our story. Yeah. Um, so I hope you guys will enjoy that. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So this episode is going to be all about Brandon's story. And uh, then the next episode, uh, next week, will be mine. And... Um, you know, I end up talking way too much in most of our shows, to be honest with you. It's going to be really funny, you talking more than me in the episode about me. It's not going to happen, I promise you. <laughs> we, I talk way too much, and so this is a great chance for me to like take a minute to just sit back and uh, you know shut up for once. So I'm sure a lot of people will enjoy that. <laughs> um, but anyway, thanks again for being here, guys. And before we get into it, I want to let you know uh, that uh, we have a lot of exciting things coming up yes, we do. pretty soon, and so you want to be a part Part of that, uh, make sure that you like the video, that you subscribe to our channel, ring the bell so you get notifications. And uh, not only that, but Brandon, tell them about the Patreon. Well, um, so shameless plug here, we do have a Patreon. We do. Uh, Patreon.com slash all things reconsidered. Um, Link's in the description. Link is in the description. It's like at the cheapest, three bucks a month. Yeah. It's not a lot. You yeah. know, that's like a, it's like a, that's actually less than a Big Mac now. Yeah. That's less than one Big Mac a month, and you can support what me and Joey are doing here. And on top of it, you get access to our Discord server, which has been popping off lately, yeah. which I love because I love to talk to people about deconstruction and life in general. Yes. And that's all what the uh, Discord is all about. It's just kind of yeah. you know hanging out together, finding community. Totally. Um, one of the biggest things that like our listeners you know struggle with, you know, getting into deconstruction and their biggest issue is how do I find a community of people that are going through the same thing as me or right. I was raised in church and now all of my people, all my friends at church think I'm going to hell and I don't yes. know how to talk to them about this. Yes. That's the great thing about our discord is it's people that are that exact same phase of, we don't really have many friends outside of, you know, or inside our church to talk about this stuff with. Come be friends with us on Discord so we can talk about this stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing to see how people are navigating that. I'll tell you what, that Discord was a little awkward at first. Oh, yeah. It was only, when we first started the Patreon, we had like three patrons. Yeah. It was a little awkward. It's just like, what's up, everybody? And then nobody was. Crickets for like three days. <laughs> yeah. But now it's really grown a bit more. And and guys, I'm telling you, it's a lot of fun. So, yeah. so definitely oh, yeah. think about joining. And, and there are other tiers, of course. We won't spend too much time on it, but I'm just really proud of the tier titles that we oh, came 100%. up 100%. Because we, we have a tier called the Beast Tier. Yeah. Which is 666, yeah. and then a, a Millennial Reindeer. It's a lot of fun. The basic is the VBS kid. Yeah, va Vacation Bible School. Were you yep. ever, a, a, I guess you weren't, right? A um, VBS kid? Never went to VBS. Wow. Never went to VBS. Man, and that's the hard-hitting kind of journalistic interview <laughs> that we're going to start off with is what it was your time at VBS like. Mm. Um, but anyway, guys, uh, so that's my that's our plug for that. And now we'll go ahead and, and get into this show. And, uh, oh, Actually, we do have an announcement. Oh, we do have an announcement. We have an announcement that I am... If you've been watching our show, 
you may have seen or heard one particular person brought up pretty frequently. John Calvin. Yes, we are big Calvin heads. We just <laughs> love that John Calvin man. I mean, honestly, if God's not handpicking ex- people to go to hell, then what? Then what's the point of serving point? Yeah, Yeah, I, I want to serve a God that is evil towards certain people. Right. Yeah. No, we're not Calvinists, so that's not true. Uh, but also, what, quick thing before Joey gets to that. Excuse how dirty my shoes are. I know. Your shoes are dirty? Oh. Yeah, I get it. I got tones. I'm not used to our shoes being on screen. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can't be barefoot anymore. Yeah. I mean, that would be kind of I mean, challenging. I mean, we could be. I guess so. Maybe Some we people could, are into that. Maybe we could have a feet only fit. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, we got to make monies from this somehow, right? <laughs> Uh, but we, uh, where do we go from here? Anyways, we have a very special guest coming on to the All Things Reconsider podcast. And I love that we're announcing this right after making a joke about an OnlyFans page. Yeah. But anyway, Brian's on. (laughs) Brian's on. The man himself is going to be on this show. Uh, so I hope you guys are excited for that. I am very excited. Um, I've been a nervous wreck for the past month and a half. He has. He's been insufferable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I wear my emotions on my sleeves, and that includes anxiety. Yeah. Uh, so Brian Zond has been, I mean, I don't want to overstate it, but, like, honestly, he's become somewhat of a personal hero of mine. Sure. And his own story of uh, leaving charismatic, you know, as he calls it, cotton candy Christianity yeah. or grape juice Christianity instead of wine. Um, history of leaving that and finding deeper, truer faith. It's been a guiding post for my own journey and I think for yeah. yours as oh, well. Oh, absolutely. And so um, so I'm very excited for this and nervous too, to be honest. Sure. But he'll, he'll be on our show. I don't exactly know at this time when it'll be posted because, um, you know. Probably... Probably about three weeks from this, from this episode. One. Yeah, because probably. we have my interview, uh, this, you know, my story, yeah. your story. We'll probably have a third episode and then the Zond Yeah, so give or take. But definitely subscribe and look forward to that. It's going to be a lot of fun. And if you are inter- if you don't know who this guy is, I would recommend his book, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, first of all. Oh, yeah. Farewell to Mars, Postcards from Babylon. You can't Water go into wrong. wine. Yeah. If you, just look up books by Brian Zond and just pick one. Just pick one. You can't go wrong. And it'll change your life. Yeah, it really will. Like, legitimately. Um, anyway. So look forward to that and subscribe. So Brandon, let's jump into your story. Hey. Uh, so why don't we just start like this? Um, we met in Bible college. Sure did. And as we've said before on our show, we've grown a bit spiritually since then to where now we don't really see eye to eye with everything theologically with that school, and mm-hmm. that's okay. Mm-hmm. But why don't you start um, by just telling us... Um, how did you end up at that Bible college? Sure. What was Brandon's life leading to that that got you there? So how far back are we looking to go? Like, I want to know from the moment you exited the uterus. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, let us just, uh, well, I know that you weren't raised Christian. Sure. So, okay, why don't we start there? How did you, okay. how did you become a Christian? Yeah, sure. Um, so I was born and I say raised, you know, I moved from Connecticut when I was 11. Okay. Um, so some people would argue that I wasn't really raised in Connecticut, but I still had two parents from Connecticut. And, and being <laughs> and there so, until you were 11 is a, I mean, that's important, yeah. important years of your life. A lot of my memories were in Connecticut. Um, yeah. So I was born and raised uh, in New England in the Northeast. And um, we never went to church. I think I went to church twice growing up. Okay. Um, I think. Once was a Lutheran church, and the second one, I don't remember what it was. 
Right. Um, my mom was a Catholic, but definitely not practicing. And my dad um, was raised Protestant, but wasn't part of the church during my childhood. Um, and it wasn't that big of a deal um, to me back then. Okay. It just it just wasn't. Uh, my parents taught me to be a good person. I think that's one thing that the church loves to claim is morality. Right. Um, you know, to be a good person is to be a Christian, and to be a Christian is to be a good person. Yeah. Um, and to be outside of Christianity, to be to be outside of Christianity, to be outside of the faith, then how are you supposed to be a good person? Well, there are plenty of good atheists. There are plenty of good people that are agnostic. There are plenty of good people that are undecided in their faith. Right. Um, so, you know, my parents raised me right, as they would say down here. Um, anyways, so fast forward, uh, my dad's job moved him to North Carolina. Okay. And so my little brother was going to school, and we went from New England to the Bible Belt. So everybody went to church on yeah. Sundays. Yeah. Um, so well, that's a, that was a big cultural shift for you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was just one of those things where we never went, but Wednesday evenings, mm-hmm. there was nobody out on the roads until 9 o'clock because that's when church got out. Right. Um, right. And then Sunday mornings, you know, that's just the roads were empty. Right. Um, and so my little brother hit one of his friends was like, hey, you should come to church with me. You should come to church with me, blah, 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 blah. So eventually my little brother's like, hey, I want to go to church because his friend kept asking him to go to church with him. And so my parents are like, all right, cool. Yeah, sure. We'll find a church to go to. And there actually just happened to be a pretty big church okay. five minutes away from my house. It was literally just right across the interstate from my house. Wow. And so my parents gave me an option. They said, Brandon, you can either stay home and clean your closet <laughs> or you can come to church. Yeah. And I said, well, I will be going to church then. <laughs> Because I don't want to clean that closet. See, sucker, because they're still going to make it clean at some point. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. But I got to, de- to delay the inevitable. I gotcha. Um, and so we started going to church um, back in Chalot. And I sat a couple seats down from a lady who had candy every Sunday. Mm. And she always gave me like gum and like different hard candies. Nice. And I was like, this church thing ain't too bad. Whatever it takes to get someone to stay. It ain't too bad. You know, if you gotta, if you gotta be the creepy giving out candy yeah. candy person to kids that, Hey, that's works. Like, you know, I get out of having to clean my closet. Yeah. I get free candy. Can't beat that. It's pretty dope. You're right. And so eventually, um, I found out about the youth group mm-hmm. on Wednesday nights. And my parents were like, do you want to go to that? You know, meet some kids your age outside of school because you can't drive and we're not taking you anywhere because we just don't feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I was like, uh, absolutely. And so got plugged in with the youth group. And that was uh, pretty much my introduction to the church. So what? Age, how old were you? I was like when you were when you got saved. I know we don't really like to use that right. phrase anymore, um, but back then I'm sure you did. Mm-hmm. So when you got saved, how old were you? I was thirteen. Okay, so I was thirteen. And here's the thing too: is it's there are people that have, were raised in church, right? You know, they went to church every Sunday morning and all the stuff, and they talk about how you know Christianity and Jesus became real to me when I was like thirteen years old, and like yeah. I had an encounter with God and blah yeah. blah blah. It wasn't that I was raised in church and I was finally making the decision for myself, you know, as opposed to my parents making that decision. I was 13 and I had never heard the gospel. Wow. Okay. Like my my working knowledge of Christianity and God and Jesus all came in the form of Christmas music. Well, 
And so, so that was all you knew was basically that three wise men came to a baby in a manger. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Like I, I knew Christ, I knew of Christianity and I knew about Christianity because of Christmas music. Yeah. And so I rem- I can like I can take you to the spot where I first heard the scripture John three sixteen for the first time. Well. And like it deeply impacted my life. I was like, huh. See, it's hard for me to imagine that personally because I was raised in it. Right. So, like the idea of <laughs> the idea of ever not knowing what John three sixteen says is, right. is weird. That's like not knowing how to breathe. Yeah. You know. Uh, so once you and I guess you, your parents, your your siblings, did all of you kind of become Christians at that point? Pretty much. Um, I mean, for the most part, it was me, my mom, my little brother, and myself. Okay. Um, my my older siblings were pretty well at, in and out of the house at that point. Gotcha. Um. So, but me, my mom, my little brother, and myself were the main four i've always wondered like being that i always had a fully christian family where every Mm -hmm. member was christian i always wondered what it's like to like have some christians and some not in the family sure do you come home and be like you know um my dad thinks i'm crazy and i'm just gonna have to keep this a a secret or i mean how does that navigate uh kind of yeah yeah um i mean my older brother was like, this is all fake. And I was like, that's fine if you believe that. So you didn't get, you didn't like fight with him. You didn't get into apologetic sort of. No, I knew I was 14. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And like, it was very much like a, I can't tell you why this is real. I just know that it is. Did you, um, did your church put on you a pressure to save people, including family members? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, at least definitely in the youth group is very much like go preach the gospel in your school. Right. Like you need to get in your school and you need to be preaching the gospel because they are going to go to hell and it will be on your hands. Yep. Oh, I can relate to that, man. I had, I had a lot of pressure from that same thing. What about things like, um, well, one topic that we talk about on Mm -hmm. the show a lot is the rapture. Was that taught to you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Your church was a rapture church. Oh yeah. They still are. Um, I remember at one point I was probably 16 years old, you know, full of zeal not full of knowledge. <laughs> right. And uh, I remember we were at a band rehearsal, I believe it was, and we were just kind of like chilling out. We were talking about other denominations mm-hmm. and talking about how ridiculous people are. And can you believe that people think the rapture isn't going to happen? Oh, my God, <laughs> how silly. They're going to be left like, behind. Yeah, they're getting left behind. I mean, yeah, these they're going to get left behind, get to chill out with Kirk Cameron, I guess. Jesus is coming back, mm-hmm. and they, they're they going to get left. And I remember making the statement. I said, you know, I pledge allegiance to the rapture. Oh, God. It's going to happen. You said that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very proud, very bold, and very dumb. Yeah. Well, we all start somewhere. And thankfully, mm-hmm. I no longer pledge allegiance to the rapture. <laughs> and it is not going to happen. You don't pledge allegiance to John Nelson Darby anymore? No. No, no, no. <laughs> Man, that rapture stuff terrified me as a kid. But um, So, okay. So, you got saved at 13. Yep. Um, was there a cultural shift in your life? Like, did, like at that point, you get saved. Did you like trash your album, your music, and replace it with Toby Mac stuff? Did you trash your movies and replace it with you know Carmen videos? I mean, or or did you kind of still stay someone who actually was in on normal things? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I think it's because I wasn't raised in church, so yeah. like. I, I didn't think it was damaging for me to continue to enjoy Harry Potter. Really? So your parents didn't have an issue with that? Oh, no, not at all. See, that alone, like, there are people watching who can attest to this, but the idea of, like, being a Christian in the 90s and 2000s, mm-hmm. like, say you're a Christian in, in the year 2002, 
and your parents are chill about Harry Potter. Like, that just to me is insane. Because my <laughs> Harry Potter was held up as the example of why Jesus is coming back. Right, like, right. Jesus is coming back, and we know because that Harry Potter movie is really popular, and that's a sign that, like, clearly this generation is falling to Satan, and Jesus will come back. So here's a funny story about that, too. So whenever I did start going to church, so this was probably about 2006 okay. at this point. Yeah. Because uh, we moved to North Carolina in 2004, I'd say about 2006, 2007-ish is when I really started to, like, diving headfirst into church. Uh-huh. So the Harry Potter movies are coming out. Some of the books are still coming out. They haven't all been released yet. Um, and people are, like, I'm hearing it at church. I'm hearing it in youth group that Harry Potter is demonic. Yeah. But I was already heavily invested in the story. So <laughs> I, was, you, I was already heavily invested in this. So did you feel guilty for no. liking it? Or, or did, no. you, did you tell people that you were into it? I didn't talk about it. Okay. But I definitely did not stop watching it. <laughs> and so it was so funny because I remember one time it was whenever Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire was coming out. And that's four, right? That's Harry Potter number four. It was yeah. the movie. Right. And so my dad's like, hey, let's go see it. I was like, awesome. Sounds great. He's like, do you want to invite anybody, like any of your friends? I was like, I'm going to invite probably like a guy, like a couple guys from the church or from school. Yeah. But we cannot talk about this at church. <laughs> like, do not bring this up on Wednesday night. Like, like, do not talk about this. I was like, because I don't know. I was like, I may get in trouble. So how did you as a kid, like, understand that? Like, did you just think my pastor is wrong about this? Or did you think like, well, he might be right, but I'm just sinning and it's a sin that I'm watching this? Um, or- I just thought they were wrong. You thought that your pastor, you were okay with thinking like they're just wrong about this. Yeah, yeah. It was very much, I was like, I've been reading this for years now, and I started reading it before I was even a Christian. Yeah. And their whole thing is, if you read this, then you're inviting spirits into your home and into your body and yes. into your mind. And those are real spells. Right. Yeah. And I was like, no, like that's 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 not happening. Right. I don't like I'm not I don't feel like I'm being overtaken by evil because I'm reading a book mm-hmm. about good triumphing over evil. Right, right. And and those spells actually are just Latin words. Yeah. And, <laughs> and another thing for me too was I I remember asking I said, "Well, have you ever read any of them?" Mm. And they're like, "Well, no." And I said, "How did you how do you know that it's evil then?" Right. Like how do you know it's bad? So did you ever, were you ever subjected to a, like a focus on the family feature from, from James Dobson? Were you ever focused or anything like that? Or a, uh, I, I don't think so. Or a DC I, talk concert? Uh, I never went to a DC talk concert, but I've been to some Christian concerts. Okay. Well, let's, uh, so that's your childhood. Yep. You enter in kind of at a later age than others. Mm -hmm. You skip some of the annoying things like focus on the family. Right. And you even join church with already having an idea of how you were already different from the evangelical norm. Correct. Even even at that age. Yeah. and, and, And quick insertion here, too, is I remember whenever I was a kid, before I believed in what we know as God, right, I remember thinking, there has to be a higher power. Yeah. Like, I don't think that we were just a cosmic accident. Right. You know, I may subscribe to traditional evolution. I may believe that the universe is 13.8 billion years old. Right. And I'm not intimidated by either one of those facts when it comes to the reality of God. Yeah. Because I remember looking around and thinking in science classes and hearing all of this stuff, thinking, yeah, this makes sense. I was like, but there's something else like there's mm-hmm. something out there and i believe it's that that deep crying out to deep yeah you know yeah well did you find that connection that relationship to that higher power 
when you were in those evangelical circles or was it not till later? I would say that like that's where it was initiated. Okay. But it was very like a surface level thing. Yeah. Um, you know, because I did have some incredible encounters with the real Jesus, you know, in services. You okay. know, like I remember just feeling like I remember a very significant one and this kind of kind of goes into your next talking point, but mm-hmm. I was at a uh, I was at a Christian conference, right? Uh, hosted by the school that you and I used to go to before they had the school there. Yeah. Um, and I know it's so dumb. I was like, but but my dog had just died, and I had this dog for thirteen years. And he was mm-hmm. my best friend, and he just died, and I was just sad. Yeah. Like I was just it was just sad. It was just tough, you know. Well, of course, that sucks. And I remember that you know they gave an altar call, like you know, like if you're hurting, whatever, blah blah, blah come up and get prayer, get prayer. So I was like, this is dumb. I was like, but I'm going to go up there. And they're like, you know, what's wrong? I'm like, well, I was like, I know it's small. I was like, but my dog just died. And like, I'm just struggling with it. It's sad. And so they took it very seriously. They're like, you know, God cares about what you care about. Like, let's pray for you. And they just prayed. And like, I just felt peace. Well, and like, it was one of those things where it's like, I can't explain why I'm feeling peace. Yeah. But it like now just looking back at it's like, it was just very much just Jesus caring for the things that we care for. Yeah. And it was very much, you know, Jesus saying, my peace I give to you. Yeah. You know, and there's a peace that surpasses understanding. And so I believe that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and I believe that he still is the Prince of Peace. Right. And that's just kind of, that's kind of one of those experiences that I had that really kind of, you know, legitimized the faith in my eyes of right. this is so random, and I'm hurt, and I don't know why, but for some reason— like after praying to this God, mm-hmm. I'm feeling better. So even in spite of some of the um, disagreements you'd have about things like cultural stuff, right? You were drawn to that piece of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So you end up going to that school, and that's yep. where we meet. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's where we meet. That's where we <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna maybe possibly embarrass you or both of us here. Oh god! But we're gonna put right here a picture of you and I <laughs> when we met at Bible College. Do you have a picture of you and I? Yeah, I do. Uh, so we're gonna put that right here. Oh, lovely. I can't show it to you right now, obviously. Look at us. But but there we are. Um, so uh, yeah, that picture is ridiculous. We're in a dark room, so like it, it, it's a, it's a really crappy photo. Lovely. Uh, but there we are. Um, we met. Uh, I was a second year when you were a first year. We need to do a how it started versus how it's going. Yeah, uh, that would be great. Maybe one of our fans can make a meme of us, for <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, or followers, not fans. But anyway, um, so once you got to that school, mm-hmm. were you? Um, were you kind of falling into the evangelical norm and way of thinking, or were you still kind of a bit of a rebel against some evangelical stuff? Um, my nature as a person kind of gives way for me to just be a rebel on things. Yeah. Like, if everybody in the room is saying yes, I have a deep-rooted desire to say no. I gotcha. Even if I agree. Okay. So, like, when they say, like, nine out of ten dentists suggest Crest, <laughs> yeah. I'm the one dentist that's like, well, Colgate's better. Yeah, Colgate. Col- <laughs> Not Crest. Um, but, you know, I just, yeah, there were things that I latched on to because I was a teenager. Okay. And I was still trying to figure out my faith, and I was still trying to figure out how to do this walk. And, I mean, we're talking about sitting under adults that have been serving Jesus longer than I've been alive. Right. So it's kind of hard to be like, you have it wrong. Yeah. But 
at the same time, there were some things where I'm like, ah, mm-hmm. I just, I just don't agree. We can, we can agree to disagree. I don't have to agree with every single thing that you guys are saying. So, you know, coming from my own experience, um, if I ever had a disagreement while I was in that school, that ministry, and, and to make it more applicable for anyone who isn't at that specific place, right? just imagine um, that you're at your church and you very much respect the leadership of that church. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, there's even an element of hoping that you'll get to be a part of a special team that you may be uh, handpicked or or chosen, we'll just say, to be on that team. Um, Let's say that you then, you know, you don't want to buck up against their norms. You don't want to be the pariah, so you just follow the line. Right. So were you ever feeling like you had to keep some of that disagreements to yourself or keep it secret because you don't want to get in trouble by... Speaking out against things, or um, I think I personally learned quickly that I'm just not good at that. Mm. Um, so some friends of mine started being noticed um, amongst leadership, and they became very different than they were two weeks before they had gotten noticed. Really, and I was like. That's not for me. Well, what like, was... That's what, just not for me. So eventually, you would get away from that evangelical style and become more of what we now have vo- vocabulary for as like a, a deconstructed Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you, you know, not everybody likes that term, but that's kind right. of the term that the that the group has made for it. Sure. So to get to that that shift, what were some of the ways that that, that shift started? Like how, were, was there a moment where you started to, to think like, hey, I don't know if I agree with all this stuff being preached at me i don't think i like any of this or or was that always kind of there because from the from the beginning i think it was always kind of there um because there were things that i just never fully latched on to yeah um so things that um most fundamentalist christians would assign to deconstructing christians yeah like a like not believing in e an eternal conscious torment view of hell yeah um, I never fully subscribed to that because I always had issues with it. Really, even then, at at, at that place, you didn't. Oh, yeah. you never really believed in eternal conscious torment. I I didn't know what I believed, mm-hmm. but I knew I was like this. I, I mean, I struggled with it from the very beginning of me going to church. Really, because I got saved. I thought to myself, "Sweet, I'm not going to hell anymore." Mm-hmm. And then the question immediately following up was, "Well, what would have happened to me if I would have died?" Like. Two weeks ago. Yeah. And I didn't even know about God. And, you know, I never did anything wrong. And I did my best to live my life by all these rules. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, what would have happened to me then? Yeah. Like, that doesn't seem fair. Yeah. Like, that doesn't, like, and we talk about God being just. That doesn't seem just. And so, I always always had an issue with it. And so, I never fully subscribed to it. I didn't know what I believed. But I was okay with that. I was okay with not knowing. And that's something that I... I take into so much of my life and that is something that I have held on to throughout the entirety of my walk with God was I'm okay with not knowing right now. Like yeah. I'm okay with dealing with this ambiguity and this this weird wrestling of I may not agree with this but I don't fully agree with that either so I don't yeah. really know what I agree with and yeah. I think that's something that more Christians need to become okay with. Mm-hmm. is just being okay with not fully knowing where you are yet. Yeah, I totally agree with you. 
Well, what is something that you've shifted on? Because what, what I'm inter- what, what's so interesting about about you, Brandon, and how what you're different from me is that you never really fully embraced the status quo of a fundamentalist Christian. Right. You were basically always um, kind of a deconstructed. Yeah, I've been Christian. deconstructing since I got saved. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You started deconstructing. <laughs> yeah. You were just never fully <laughs> constructed. Right. <laughs> uh, and th- that's a huge difference between you and I. Mm. So being that you were never fully fundamentalist, like what what are even even with that i can't ask like oh well you know you let go of this belief or that belief because you probably never had it to begin with but what is something that you did let go of that you did grow from that you no longer believe so something i did hold on to firmly was the rapture okay like i was very much like we're gonna get called up Mm -hmm. everybody's gonna be left behind you know i the mark of the beast yeah like you gotta watch out for that stuff like i mean i was deep into that thing did you think it would happen in your lifetime oh 100% yeah yeah I, I feel like every rapture believer really thinks I remember praying I listen I get it this is gonna sound but, but what? <laughs> if anybody if you believe in the rapture you prayed the same prayer okay uh, okay and you know where I'm going with this I remember praying as a horned up teenager oh yeah God <laughs> I understand that having sex before marriage will send me to hell yeah but please, please, if you love me, hold off on the rapture till I get married. You know, I, I feel like, please, <laughs> I don't know the time. I don't know the place. Only you do, Lord. But make that time be after I get married. Man, the idea that like a cosmic timeline of the creator of the cosmos can be put on hold just so that we can have sex. It's so silly, but every one of us wants God that. cares about what I care about, <laughs> yes, Joey. Yes, exactly. Every single one of us. I, I mean, I can speak for us guys because we've had, I remember at this place having group like prayer meetings or like, you know, um, just group meetings where we'd hang, hang right. out and talk and, and uh, talk about what we're worried about. And I remember this actual topic coming up. Yeah. Where people we're like like guys we're like very honest like you know what guys i'm just kind of worried that we're gonna get raptured before i get to be married yeah and and they it is a worry they weren't saying i'm worried that it'll happen before i get married because i just really want to like watch the prices right with my <laughs> right, wife right. They, were, they were talking specifically about sex it's just so funny to me that we all had the same oh anxiety. yeah oh yeah but um i mean i was i was are you rapture ready? Yeah. Like I wasn't huge into watching every single thing unfold and like this like is political things. Yeah, that, yeah. Like this is a sign that this is going to happen and the yeah. whole blood mood and thing, because I was very much into science still at this point. Okay. And so I was like, you know, the, Neil deGrasse Tyson can tell me when the next 46 blood moons are going to be. Right, right? Like, right. Right. That's not, Stop trying to guess because the Bible says no man knows the time. And so if we spend all this time trying to guess, then, you know, we're just going to keep pushing it off or whatever. I didn't know how it worked, but I just knew that we were never going to be able to guess based off of anything going on when the rapture was going to happen. So what got you away from that? Um, Reading the Bible better. Okay. Um, And also, I mean, I recently let go of my belief in the rapture. Oh, really? Um, Like how recent? Like like two years? Yeah, within the past couple years. Really? Um, And it was... Again, it was one of those things where I didn't know what it was supposed to look like, but I started realizing, like, you know, if you read those verses better and in a more true way to the author's intent and mm-hmm. the time that it was written in, because I'm huge on, you know, reading the Bible correctly. Right. 
that that's not what the Bible's talking about. Yeah, exactly. And but there was still just a little bit of fear with letting go of that mm-hmm. because I'm like, well, what if I'm missing it? Yeah. Like, what if I'm what if I'm wrong about letting this go? Mm-hmm. And then what really set me over the top was how much fear that led to, because there is no fear in love. Right. And so if there's a theology that I have that inspires fear in me, then it is not a theology about God. It's not a theology that is true to God. Right. And so I had to realize every theological thinking that I have about God has to be steeped in just dripping and overflowing in love for it to be even close to true. Absolutely. Well, I'm also curious because when we were in that school together, uh, we both ended up finding uh, uh, girls that were actually interested in us. Oh, yeah, we did. Which I still am pretty amazed Shocker. Yeah, I can't believe that you and I both found (laughs) found people who (laughs) would settle for us. Uh, Let's be honest, they both settled. Settle is the word for it. My wife, listen, I'm going to do the youth pastor thing that every youth pastor does, but my wife is hot. (laughs) I know it. Like, my wife is very attractive. Both of our wives settled hardcore. 100%. I honestly think, uh, you know, purity culture probably played a part oh, in, in yeah. the formation of certain relationships. And I'm curious to know how much purity culture influenced your relationship with your wife when you were dating and first getting together. Um, I guess, I mean, yeah, of course it affected it. Um, there was, I'm not a big person on the one. Mm-hmm. And so... I had dated people in high school, like I had. You mean you know, the idea that there's only one specific person that God has for you, right? The idea that like I have to find this one person, right? Yeah, and so I was just like, man, I like her. I think she's really cool. She's probably my best friend here. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I want to date her, but then like all of the pressure of dating right, yeah, and not messing up, yeah. And then messing up <laughs> and then thinking we have to break up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, we we had our struggles while we yeah. were dating, you know, full transparency. But I remember one time we met with one of the leaders at that ministry and we're like, you know, we we messed up. We had some uh, some fun. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we understand that that's not OK. Right. Like like we need to break up. And he, he even said, he goes, why would you break up? Mm. He's like, you guys obviously like each other. You obviously (laughs) love each other. Like, why would you break up over something like this? Wow. He's like, you know, do better going forward, of course. He's like, but it's just a waste of time for you guys to break up because obviously you want to be together. Wow. And we're like, oh, good point. You weren't expecting that, huh? Yeah, yeah. Was not expecting that at all. And so, I mean, we, we, that was a great experience for us coming from, you know, a very fundamentalist Mm -hmm. style of ministry just that grace that's offered of like, listen, just because you have an issue does not mean you need to throw away a perfectly healthy relationship. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, we, we had our issues and we, you know, we dealt with our uh, sexual sins. Sure. But we grew past it. And, you know, we look back at it now, we're like, man, we were just two teenagers trying to navigate life. Like there's no reason for us to deal with all of the stress that we did because we, we're two teenagers. Like you don't need to put so much anxiety on it because, you know, God has grace for the fact that right. you guys were, were young and stupid. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so we should as well. Well, what was it like merging? Um, for, well, what was it like going from being single 
to being married with someone who has a very different story than yours. Because I know that your wife, Michaela, was raised more like I was. Oh, yeah. And so so she was raised in the church and in lots of different beliefs that mm-hmm. she later had to break out of. But you being raised the way you were, were you kind of pulling her more towards your way of thinking? Was there disagreements? Like, take one issue, for instance, like uh, creationism. Sure. I know that you've told me before that you never fully believed in a Ken Ham version of Genesis. Right. But I know from speaking to your wife that she did. Yes. Is that just as one example? But were those the kind of things that you two would disagree about or that, or, or was it no problem? So, honestly, it wasn't that big of an issue. Um, one, because I... I knew where I stood in my faith personally, but I didn't want to cause issue for her and her faith by trying to like rip that out of her hands. Gotcha. And so I was very, I, I was fine with her believing that, but my biggest thing is, and to this day, I will thank my parents like every day for this. Like if yeah. my parents taught me one thing, it was this, know what you believe and why. And okay. so whenever we would talk about faith discussions, I had such a deep rooted, this is why I believe this right within myself. And it had nothing to do with, well, that's what I was taught growing up. It was, it had everything to do with, well, this is what I have studied. This is what I've read. This is what I have done the work on to believe. Wow. And I believe that's something that a lot of Christians that are deconstructing that's one of their main issues is they're force fed these beliefs. Yeah. And whenever they begin to question it and they start to pull at those little strings Mm -hmm. of their faith, it Mm -hmm. all starts to unravel because there's no substance there. Right. And so that was the thing with my wife is I said, listen, I know what you believe, Mm -hmm. like, you know, believe what you want, but know why you believe it. Like believe it for yourself. Well, don't believe it just because your parents told you to. And and so you gave her, you weren't like, you know, telling her you have to stop believing in creationism. Right. You just kind of gave her the space and the grace to have her own walk. And exactly. Her own relationship. Mm-hmm. And know. so I was like, it's, it's non-consequential. Like, and right. I think that was my biggest thing to her too. I was like, just because you and I disagree with how the earth was created does not mean either one of us aren't saved. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, you know, I think... It's incorrect to think that way, but yeah. I don't think that you are wrong for thinking that way. Gotcha. Um, and so just kind of having that grace and that, you know, just openness to say, like, let's walk through this together. And, like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to become the new person telling you what to believe. Right. I'm going to be the person saying, whatever you choose to believe is fine. Just know why you believe it. Gotcha. Well, so that in that way, you weren't being a fundamentalist you know, in, in, in your style and in your approach right. with her. Yeah. So then let's see, you, you left that, that Bible college. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to tell me? Like maybe a, a funny story from that place or, or something that you want to mention a belief that you've had before we graduate out of that Bible school? Oh man. I mean, no, it's so funny because like, I feel like I spent so long there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm like, I couldn't tell you four things that happened while I was there. <laughs> yeah. Like, me and my wife were dance partners, and that's how we met, is we met because we were dance partners, and people all the time were like, how did you manage to land your wife? Like, how <laughs> did that happen? Yeah. And I'm like, it's because I was the person that was physically fit enough to throw her above my head mm-hmm. and to catch her, and she didn't hit the ground. And that's all it took. I'm like, listen, <laughs> when you can lift an entire person mm-hmm. over yourself and not drop them, 
you have a good chance of that person liking you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll say. Now let, let's for a second get into the politics around charismatic oh, yeah. evangelical Christianity. Um, one of the things that the deconstruction Christian uh, community gets a lot of hate for from fundamentalists is the tendency for us to land more left-leaning politically. Sure. Now, you and I have political disagreements, I think. Oh, yeah. We don't often talk about it because we don't care that much. Right. But we do. Um, and you don't really line up with the the norm for the progressive Christian when it comes to politics. Sure. So, like, politically speaking, the school that we were a part of and the evangelical world ended up, not at the time because this was years before this happened, but right. they ended up being very much a Trump-supporting crowd. Yeah. Did you find yourself at odds politically while you were at that place or even now? Or were you were you more in line with their way of thinking? And if you did find yourself at odds, how did you navigate that? Because I know from, from my own experience, if you are at odds with them, you were almost made out to be like a pariah. Right. Um, back then, a bit, definitely just almost complete opposite now. Okay. Um, so whenever we went there, President Barack Obama was the sitting president. Right. Um, and I, I liked Obama. Now, that's something you probably didn't say often. Sure didn't. Because if you had said that, it would have been an, an, it would have been an issue. Sure didn't. Now, did I agree with every single thing that he did? Of course not. Mm-hmm. I was like, but I, I believe he was a very well-spoken president. I think he was great relationally. I liked some of his policies. I disagreed with some of his policies, but that was fine. Um, they weren't super-duper political whenever we were there, though. Really? Um, now, fast forward to the Trump years... We were we were both already out of the school whenever Trump was elected yes, president. Yes, we'd have been out for a few years. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then with the George Floyd murder and all of that surrounding it, um, but just politically, I I have gotten to a point in my walk with Jesus, and especially, I mean, this has really kind of come to a head this year. Um, I just I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't care about the political system of the United States of America. <laughs> right. Like, I, I, I genuinely don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I have fallen very much in love with the mentality and the creed and the declaration of no king but King Jesus. Right. And I think we have gotten so lost in the weeds of politics, left, right, liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat, that we have lost the message of no king but King Jesus. And that doesn't mean that you don't have political opinions. I have a or thousand that political involved. opinions. Yeah, and, you, and you're still involved. You, you vote and things like yeah. that. But it's just not an idol. I just... I just I, I, and I do care to the point where I don't want my vote to come across as harmful to other people. Sure. Um, that was a huge thing in the 2020 election. You yes, know, yes. how could you vote for Joe Biden? He's for abortion. You're killing unborn babies if you vote for <laughs> Joe Biden. But on the other hand, how could you vote for Donald Trump? You hate the LGBTQ community and you're harming them. And, and immigrants. And, and yeah, yeah, and so you have these, you have all this weight on your vote of these two flawed men mm-hmm. in this very flawed system. Yeah. And as a Christian, we elevate our vote to part of our salvation. 
yeah. of if you vote against this issue, you're not even a Christian anymore. Right. Well, let me tell you what. Voting wasn't a thing when Christianity was instituted. <laughs> right. Jesus, yeah. the, the disciples, didn't have a vote in anything. Right. It wasn't what they focused on. Democracy didn't exist whenever the Bible... I mean, yes, it existed, but the democracy didn't exist in the culture in which the Bible was written. And honestly, I think even if, you know, if the... if Let's say when the Bible was written, the society they were in had our exact political system, right? Voting and and with the free elections like that, I really highly doubt they would have been that concerned. They wouldn't have talked about it about that. And, and the reason I know that is because there were political systems whenever the Bible was written, right? And the only commentary on the political systems of the time were the kingdom of God supersedes all of this. Right. It was not, well, this is how you're supposed to believe about your political system. Mm-hmm. This is what you're supposed to do to support your political system. It was always the kingdom of God rules over every political system. Exactly. And so that's where I've gotten to in my personal walk of, yes, I believe in certain things politically, but I don't, the thing that matters more is how do I treat people like Jesus? Yes. Me treating people like Jesus matters a thousand times more than my vote. Absolutely. Now, another thing that I, I remember from that place, and, and we'll move on from that school in just a minute. Yep. I know we were hanging out there for a while, but it was a very impactful time for oh, both yeah, of absolutely. us. So, so I have a lot of questions from that time period. But I remember, um, man, I remember meeting you. You were you were always like the funniest guy from oh, your year. Stuff. I had my own friends in my own school year because I was a year ahead of you. Yep. But I remember from the first years, if we were talking about like first years that were interesting to us, like you were always one of the funniest guys <laughs> and i can definitely i didn't know it then because we weren't that close yet right you know we were we were friends we sure. weren't that close yet but i i can totally see it now looking back that you were more of the rebellious spiritually where you weren't fully falling in line with the status quo right um and i'm wondering it does that also does that also apply with another very important thing at that school which was bible literalism were you now i know you didn't believe in creationism fully but how has the way you read the bible now changed from what it was like back then or did it change at all um so it hasn't changed much it's just i have vocabulary for it now. okay um so again growing up in a not christian household my parents didn't really care what i read as long as it was perceived to be age appropriate yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but especially going into high school and different things like that. So reading things like the Epic of Gilgamesh and other ancient Near Eastern literature, and I was huge into mythology. I mean, I love... Lord of the Rings, too? Mythology. I mean, well, yeah, Lord of the, but I'm not talking about Lord of the Rings. Well, I know, but I'm just asking if you were into Lord of the yeah, Rings. Yeah, I, I like Lord of the Rings. I can't be a like, Christian if you weren't into Lord of the Rings. Like Harry Potter better. Chronicles of Narnia. Huge fan of Chronicles of Narnia. You like Harry Potter better than Lord of the Rings? Oh, yeah. Look, I, I mean, I, I get it. Harry Potter is great, but... It's Lord of the Rings. And I think it's because it, it just captured my imagination better than Lord of the Rings did. Okay. Like, Tolkien was just, he was a bitter old man. I wouldn't call him a bitter old he man. He would call himself a bitter old man. I mean, I would. I he was know. a pessimist. He was a, he was a self-admitted pessimist. Well, he also saw the beauty in the world that other, other people just don't see. Okay, the thing that I do appreciate about Lord of the Rings is, <laughs> is this. This is, this is not, a, I mean, it may be a well-known fact. But J.R. Tolkien was not trying to really tell the story of the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. He just created an entire world 
and wanted to make languages. Yeah. And then created a story around that more than anything. Yeah, he he was a beast, man. And so, so I appreciate the the literature of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I just like Harry Potter better. Okay. Anyways, um, so I read you know different snippets of ancient Near Eastern literature mm-hmm. that you can prove predates the Bible, right? And match those stories. Yeah. And so it was just one of those things where I was like, hey, this doesn't have to be literal to be true. Mm-hmm. But again, you don't voice those opinions, especially whenever you don't know how to defend them well. Yeah. Because the the scary thing about apolog- uh, apologetics is if you disagree with apologetics and things like the case for Christ and having to prove things with science and all this stuff. Sure. Is then you have to get into your own apologetics to disprove apologetics. Yeah. You're pinning a target on yourself. Right. Uh, immediately. And they are trained to go after you. Right. And, yeah. And so, I mean, I wasn't quite fully, I hadn't quite fully dived into what I thought about the Bible. And so things like the flood, I thought it was a literal flood, mm-hmm. but I was like, I don't think it covered the entire world. Okay. Because, you know, back in ancient literature, they said that Alexander the Great conquered the entire world. Right. And now, of course, we know he did It's literally impossible for that to have happened, right. but it was the entire world that was known to him. Right. And they were maybe even, even if they did know of more world, if they did, maybe they were just speaking in a hyper, hyperbolic sense right. to elevate the status of their right. of Alexander. And so for me, yeah. I'm like, Noah, whenever you hear that, you know, God flooded the entire world, right. my brain goes to, oh, well, it flooded the entire world that no one knew of. Right. And, you know, yes, it killed everybody because everybody that Noah could have come into contact with was dead. Right. And so that was how I dealt with things like that of, I don't think it's the entire world. No, but it was the entire world to them because that's how a lot of literature was written back then. Right. I got you. Uh, And then different things like historical accuracy, you know, I took, you know, world history classes where there's no proof that some of these genocides or no proof of some of these, you know, conquerings in the Bible mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. I wasn't intimidated. I was like, well, they were telling a story. Wow. It's incredible to me to imagine like being confronted with that information and it not stressing you out <laughs> because, and, and you'll hear it next week. So I won't harp on it, but like that is so different from me because mm-hmm. when I heard about this information about how there's no archeological proof, there's no scientific proof, whatever of all these different Bible stories, it, it stressed me out to my core. Sure. So it's amazing that you've always had this idea that like, okay, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Well, so then you we eventually uh, grew up a bit more. We got out of oh, that yeah. school, and um, we went our separate ways. I parted for a bit. Yeah, I moved to St. Louis, and I don't know what you did. I stayed in Hamilton. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. So you stayed you stayed there for a bit, and then finally we ended up reconvening. We ended up finding each other once again in Knoxville. So how did you get to Knoxville, Tennessee? So one of our instructors from that school. We were really close to his wife, and she came up to us one day before church and said, hey, uh, he's about to announce this, but we're moving to Knoxville. You guys should move with us. They were like, listen, we just bought a house. (laughs) Okay. And two, why would we move to Knoxville? Right. And so me and my wife went home, and we're like, we're not not moving, right? (laughs) We just bought it. No, we're not moving, right? We're like, well, 
I mean, why not? Wow. <laughs> let's, let's give it a thought. I mean, let's be honest. That town had not even like. I, I don't even think that town's Walmart was open 24 hours. No. Okay, that no. town had like four stoplights. Yeah. So and I so bet you weren't totally against the idea. We're like, well, we've never been to Knoxville. Let's mm. go visit, see what the vibe is. And man, as soon as we, as soon as we saw the sign, welcome to Knoxville, like on the interstate passing downtown, you see like, you know, mm-hmm. the skyline of downtown. We're like, well, we're moving to Knoxville. Um, <laughs> don't know how it's going to happen, but we're going to make this happen. Nice. Um, Soul ended up selling our house, which was an incredible feat for the town that we were in. Yeah. Um, and then moved up here to Knoxville. And it was very much, I mean, we both agreed, like, we don't know that we're going to be doing anything while we're here, but we love the vision that they have for the church that they're wanting to start. We think this is an awesome city and people all the time are like, do you, did you have a word from God to move? <laughs> right. And our, heaven forbid that you use your own innate uh, God given ability to, you know, think ahead of the future yeah. and like make a decision. It has yeah. to be over. <laughs> yeah. people. D- did God tell you to move? And I can tell you right now sitting in this chair. No, God did not tell us to move. Mm hmm. Like, I, I have no issue saying that. People are like, uh, are you sure it's the will of God for your life? I mean, sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, do you, ha- do you have a word? No. Like, but want to know how I know it's okay? Because when we're thinking about moving, we have peace about it. Yeah. And that's, the, that's actually the first thing that pulls you into being saved in the first place. Right. Was the peace of, of God, the Prince of Peace that you felt uh, praying about your, your, your dog. Exactly. And the, the pain that that felt. So you were still being led through all of that. You were still primarily being led at your core. Yes. By peace. Because there have been several instances where me and my wife had thought about moving like back to her hometown or back to my hometown or to different states across, you know. To St. Louis to see me, yeah, of course. Yeah, different <laughs> things like that. And just I remember feeling those tugs of like this this isn't right. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't this isn't the decision that we're supposed to be making. I remember one time I had an interview lined up in Nashville and oh, I had okay. the day off and I got on the interstate and I was driving and I was already on the way there and I remember so clearly just feeling just that like pull of like this isn't the right decision. Well, and just turning around and coming back, and I told Michaela, I was like, "Listen, she's she called me a couple hours later because she's at work. She's like, how'd the interview go?'" I was like, uh. well, <laughs> "It didn't." So, wow. And then when we moved to Knoxville, you know, we put our house up for sale, and we're like, "God, say no." <laughs> okay, we don't have anywhere to live anymore, right. and you know, coming up and applying for jobs and getting job offers, and we're like, "God, say no." <laughs> And we didn't hear a yes, but at the same time, we didn't hear a no. Yeah. And we just had that that just that just real piece of like, this is what we are supposed to be doing. This is the next step for our life. Totally. And I would even encourage people, like, just start doing something. Like, mm-hmm. we get into such a paralysis yes. as Christians. That's so true. Because we're so afraid of doing the wrong thing, and God isn't going to bless us. And if I make this, if I put on the wrong shirt this morning, then, <laughs> right. then this person isn't going to see me that's supposed to see me, and then I'm right. not going to be able to give him a word, and then God isn't going to be able to do what he wants to do in their life. And we get into this, such this fear. And again, yeah. if your theology inspires fear in your life, it is not a good theology about God. Yeah. Right. So basically, uh, sometimes the idea of being in the will of God can actually be paralyzing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because we're so focused on, I need to make sure that I'm doing what God wants, that we end up not really doing anything because we're terrified to not do what he what He doesn't want us to do. Right. Yeah. Um, so something I would encourage Christians to do is just start doing something. Yeah. 
Um, you know, the Bible says that the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. Okay. Not the standing still <laughs> of the righteous. Right. You know, and g- come at me if you say I'm using that verse out of context. And I'll come at you with 17 other verses that everybody else uses out of context. <laughs> All right, so shut up. Right. Um, but, you know, we just, sometimes we just have to start making decisions. We just have to start doing things and trusting that God will be with us regardless. Yeah. Because good. that was Jesus's name. He was Emmanuel. He is Emmanuel. He yes. is God with us. Yes. You know, he gave us the Holy Spirit that is with us always, mm-hmm. you know? And so we, we've got to stop being afraid of being outside of the will of God. Yeah. Because the will of God is, it's going to get accomplished regardless. God doesn't need us. Yeah. You know, one one way that I love uh, thinking about this is um, I've heard a, a preacher say once before that there's a Bible verse that says that uh, whatsoever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. Yeah. Whatsoever. So she would say, what's the will of God? Whatsoever. Whatsoever yeah. you do. Absolutely. Do, so God's will for your life is whatever. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. Yeah. You know? As long as you're in his name, um, you know, you're in his will. Yeah, absolutely. So... Once we moved to Knoxville, we, re- we we met back up. We became closer friends and uh, started to unpack some of the differences that we had with evangelical Christianity together. Um, and I was going through a ton right then. But when we started to talk about theology, I realized really quick that, and I don't know if you uh, would use this word, but basically a lot of your beliefs line up close to Christian universalism. Sure. Yep. Or I think you prefer the phrasing ultimate reconciliation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that was new to me when I moved here and started reading certain books like That All Shall Be Saved by David right. Bentley Hart. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get into that understanding? I know now I know unpacking the entire theology of that is too much right. for this episode, but basically if you want to go touch on that briefly, go for it. But also just how did you get there? The TLDR of that was I kind of believed in a slight form of Calvinism um, where I believe, I guess it's kind of like a, a mush of Arminianism and Calvinism. Okay. Where I believe that people had the free will to accept Jesus, but God knew in the end who all would accept him. Okay, so the foreknowledge of God right. was essentially what you would count as predestining people. Correct. Um, and so I just, I just didn't know where I fell on that, and it was very much like I don't agree with an idea of eternal conscious torment, and then I found out about annihilationism. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I can, I can kind of get behind that. You know, like, Do you want to explain that real quick? Yeah, so real quick is people aren't in hell forever. They are in hell for a season until Jesus comes back, and then hell with everybody in it is cast into the lake of fire, and then they just cease to be. Yeah, they like, just cease like to exist. They 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 don't feel pain for eternity. Right. They eventually cease to exist right. altogether. They are annihilated. Yes, just completely annihilated, gone. Bye. Which is definitely a, at the very least a, a bit less monstrous than the idea that they are. <laughs> right. Feeling pain for all right. of time. Yeah. Um, and then I feel like that was a very short stop. So for most of my Christian walk, it was a people choose God, but God knows who's going to choose him mm-hmm. for solid, you know, decade. Yeah. Quick pit stop and okay, then everybody that didn't choose him is going to be murdered. Yeah. And then very much into a Jesus paid this price for everybody. Right. And so because my my question was always, if the sin of Adam imputes sin on everybody without yeah. choice, 
then why doesn't the resurrection of Jesus the impute righteousness into everybody right. without choice? Right. And nobody ever had a good answer for that. Yeah. So one of my main issues was if the sin of Adam, okay, mm-hmm. imputes sin into everybody. Right. Right. But the sacrifice and resurrection doesn't impute righteousness into everybody. Then who's stronger here? Right. The creator or the creation. Mm -hmm. And so that really is what sent me down the, you know, ultimate reconciliation or the patristic universalism. Right. um, Of Jesus's death paid once for all. Yeah. And didn't satisfy God's wrath, which is what I believed in. I believed in penal substitution, which leads to an idea of eternal conscious torment, which leads to having to choose him. Right. I began to believe in Jesus's death paying off the wages of sin, which are death. Yeah. And so if Jesus defeats death, then he has to defeat it for everybody. Right. And right. so that that's what led me down that path. Interesting. So when you were beginning to learn about that, about universalism, I know from my own experience, it was something that caused some trauma mm-hmm. uh, because people were very much disagreeing. Did you have, I know obviously your wife was on board with you, but did you have other people who were upset with where your spiritual trajectory was headed? And Oh, yeah. Did absolutely. that cause some drama? Um, I want to say drama. Um, as with most things that I believe theologically, I kind of kept it to myself until I was able to flesh it out more. Okay. Um, but it was something I kind of, you know, I, I, I talk to my dad about a lot of these theological thinkings that I have because I feel like he gives me that grace of, I know you're fleshing out what you think yeah, and me and him can disagree, but he's going to let me talk out my beliefs. He's going to let me think out what I'm going through. Um, and just kind of gives me that just safe sounding board yeah. to kind of wrestle with these things. And then right. eventually, you know, he'll tell me his thoughts or he'll begin to agree with me himself. And so different mm-hmm. things like that. Um, but of course I had people telling me that it was dangerous theology and I was leading people to hell by teaching it and preaching it. Now, mind you, I don't have a platform to preach on. <laughs> right. I'm not a preacher. Right. Um, you didn't even have a podcast back then. No. Yeah. And so whenever people are like, you know, that's dangerous. Like, you know, like you're leading people astray. I'm like, I'm not leading anybody. Well, what about, um, I know some questions that, that we get asked a lot is basically when you were moving away <laughs> Again, you were never fully in it. I understand that. But still, when you were even more so moving away from Mm -hmm. American fundamentalism and evangelicalism, what kept you from just becoming an agnostic? What kept you to remain a Christian? I think for me, it was just some of those encounters that I had with Jesus that I just could not explain away. Okay. You know, and again, I know I harp on this a lot, but this is something that is super, like, just central to my story is just that peace that Jesus yeah. offers. Yeah. And because I didn't, you don't find that anywhere else. Right. You know, you, you can find temporary happiness, but like just finding true genuine peace in the middle of the storm mm-hmm. is what kept me from just leaving the faith altogether. Well, um, and so, so for example, just getting super, I mean, super personal and in depth in my story, but it, it's, it is very central to who I am and, mm-hmm you know, the faith that I have now, um, about five years ago, my wife got pregnant and suffered a miscarriage. Right. Um, super traumatic for my wife and I, it was the first time that she had been pregnant. Um, 
And so it's just, it's just a real it's a real hard thing to go yeah. through. Um, yeah. It's not something that really is talked about by people. It's not something that's shared about. Um, but it it is a very sad thing. Um, and so we actually found out when we were going in to find out the gender of our child. So it was on top of oh wow everybody that we were calling to tell them were expecting us to be telling them the gender and blah yeah. blah blah. And so we had all that to deal with. And uh, she was far enough along to where she had to actually deliver the wow. uh, deliver the child. And so wow. it was super long day. I mean, I think I was up for close to thirty six hours straight at that point. And so we're in the hospital. She's on drugs. You know, they're they're doing all this stuff. She's getting some sleep. I'm on those little hospital cot, yeah, you know, like yeah. every time she stirs cause she's having contraction because they're inducing labor. I like I wake back up. So I think I slept for maybe 20 minutes. Wow. And I remember she, uh, we're on the way home. You know, this is after the worst night of our lives. Yeah. We're on the way home and she's passed out in the passenger seat and I'm driving. And I remember saying, I remember, and these are the prayers that we have to learn to become comfortable with praying. Yeah. Like these are like these are the things that fundamentalist Christians and Calvinists and different people would say that I'm a heretic for praying this kind of prayer. But I remember saying, God, you need to speak to me right now. Well, like th- what I just went through, I know people are going to say, "Oh, well, it was God's will." You know, you know. Right. And this was on the heels of about six months prior, my wife losing her mother to cancer. Really? That happened right at that same time? Yeah. And so we got married in March of 2015. In October of 2015, she, uh, she lost her mother to cancer. And then in June of 2016, we had our miscarriage. Wow. Or it may have been July. Um, and so I'm like, God, I need you to speak right now. Well, wow. Like... This this is not okay. This is not you. Like, if you are real, you need to talk right now. Well. And, of course, it wasn't anything new. Yeah. And I think, I think that's why I do put such importance on the Bible. Because the Bible may not be the word of God as Jesus is, but they are words about God. Yeah, exactly. And I remember the verse, I'll give you peace that surpasses all understanding, just flooding my mind. Really? And I remember just this phrase just going over and over in my mind. It was, understanding brings closure, but peace brings healing. And in that moment, I didn't need closure. I didn't need to understand what had happened. And and the reason why I, I needed to hear that personally was because I am such a person that wants to know why things happen. I want to know why things tick. I want to know right. what makes things work. I, I love things like psychology and how the human mind works. Sure. And development and things like that. And I remember just so clearly hearing, understanding brings closure, but peace brings healing. And in that moment, I needed peace. Yeah. Like, I needed to know it was going to be okay. I didn't need to know why everything had happened. And that's what we fall into whenever we fall into apologetics is we don't feel like giving people the peace of Jesus that brings healing. Mm -hmm. We feel the need to justify Christ through their understanding. Yeah, that's true. And Paul says, I'm going to give you a peace that surpasses understanding. That's more important than your mental understanding. Right. And so my faith needed peace more than it needed understanding. Well. And so, so in that moment, Jesus so much became the prince of peace that just surpassed all of that understanding. 
I don't know why it happened. I'm not saying God was okay with it happening. Yeah, of course not. You don't, you not don't a, believe that that was his will. No, I, no not at all. I don't believe no. that it was his will for her mom to die. I don't believe it was his will for us to have a miscarriage. Yeah. But in that moment, God said, listen, I know it hurts, but I'm going to give you a peace because I care about you. Wow. Yeah, and so it's beautiful. That, that's that loving God of God doesn't cause everything to happen, but God will hold you when it does. Wow. Yeah, and so... Good. That that's good, man. Well, so it sounds like the the main points that have been guiding you have been to follow the peace and to know why you believe what you believe. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So you've always been the type to, if it meant bucking up against the the norm of the churches that you were in, you would do that. Oh yeah. If it meant going against the status quo, you would do that. But you would follow peace and know where you stand. Right. So last question before we close off. What would you say to someone who is critical of the movement that we speak into, who would look at what we believe theologically different from theirs, from them, and say, "Well, they just, you know, they're just throwing out the Bible. They're just a bunch <laughs> of progressives. They're a bunch of her-. what would you say to them? Because I, I find that a lot of people assume that we don't actually read the Bible every right. Um, you know, I even had one person on TikTok who was angry about us who was saying, well, you can't trust what they say because they don't pray to the Spirit. They don't pray in the Spirit. They don't read the... They, they obviously don't have a walk with the Word. And I was thinking, like, you don't... You don't know me. <laughs> you don't, so, because we're not fundamentalists, a lot of people assume very mean things about our walk with sure. God and about where we stand. So what would you say to the critics who would look at your story and say, well, you just never really understood the Bible, or you just, you know, what would you say to them? Um, I would say that... 2020 and 2021, I am deeper in my walk with God than I ever have been because of the journey that I have set myself on. And the reason I say that is because I have fallen in love more with the person of Jesus than the book of the Bible. And I love the Bible. I love reading the Bible. I love finding Jesus in the Bible. The, my favorite, again, like I know I've brought this up on the podcast before, but my favorite story about Jesus is whenever he's resurrected and he's walking with the, with the two disciples. Yeah. And it talks about how he took them through every story that they had ever known and okay. shown himself in it. Right. And so I love the Bible, but I have fallen in love with the person of Jesus more. And I want to look more like Christ than I want to look like the American evangelical church. Yeah. What I would say to the people that are against the deconstruction movement is I'm not deconstructing my faith. I'm deconstructing what you tried to force me to believe. Yeah, that's good. And I know that's not everybody's story, but that is most people's story. Yeah. And, I mean, in our Discord, I mean, we've been having a conversation where a lot of people, you get this assumption about people that are deconstructing that they just want to throw out the Bible and how they hate Jesus. Yes, exactly. And that is not our story. Our story is we love the person of Jesus that we see in the Bible, but we're not seeing it in the American evangelical church. Exactly. What people don't understand is that really what we're deconstructing is the the idea of Jesus and Christianity that evangelical churches have presented. Right. But Jesus himself is not in question. Right, yeah. And we are actually, like you've described in the story, being led by peace and trying to know what we believe. Yeah. And those two things are the foundation to our deconstruction. Right. And as long as we keep those in focus, I don't think we're going to we're going to be this heretical, you know, crazy off and left field thing that people paint us out to be. Yeah. And I think it's so funny too that you, you know, 
my biggest thing is one, you know, be, you know, live in peace and to know what I believe because yeah. you know, Lee Strobel in the case for Christ <laughs> is all about knowing what you believe, right? But right. It's, all, it's defending the wrong thing. Yeah, and I think the thing with Lee Strobel is that he may know what he believes, but if you really get down to it, is there peace in it? Because you have to to uh, uh, believe the things that the apologetics believe, like the literal creation. You have to. Uh, go against so much science and yeah. so much common sense right. that you can't live in peace. You live in stress. Exactly. You're in, you're in the stress of constantly have to defend the Bible from whatever the heck Neil deGrasse Tyson said on TikTok. <laughs> right. So you're in constant stress. You're not in peace. Right. There's actually peace in just accepting that maybe the Bible's supposed to be something different than a science book, and that's okay. But it's something so much more beautiful. It's something so needed. Yeah. And that it can never be if we're trying to hamper it down by forcing it to be a science book or right. something. Anyway, uh, Brandon, thank you for telling us all your story. That's my story, everybody. <laughs> and uh, is there anything else you want to say before we, we close? Any other thing? Um, love God, love people. All right. That's There's, about it. And that's there more than a preacher cliche. That's, that's more than a preacher cliche. That's like the one preacher cliche that I think is actually worth holding on to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, guys, again, thank you for coming uh, to, to hang out with us today. And uh, I hope that you enjoyed the video. Leave a comment and let us know what you think. And again, if you want to be part of that Discord that we've been talking about, we'd love to have you on. We really legitimately would. Oh, yeah, would. absolutely. So, so join our Patreon. You'll get a link to sign up. And uh, also... Look out for next week's episode, which will be... Part two, where I interviewed Joey. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be fun. It's going to be a good old time. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, So so make sure to follow for that. And uh, guys, we will see you next time. Peace.